Some of you know that I went to high school in South India. My father had a job in Saudi Arabia, and so my freshman through my senior year was in a little mountaintop town in South India called Kodi Canal. And one of my distinct memories from when I was in India was a community service project we had, and this is common wherever you are, whether Dallas or India, um, well-to-do Western people need to do community service to get a clue about what the world does or doesn't have. And so I remember volunteering. There was what was called a government hospital in Cody, and it was just right down from my dorm. Part of the reason I chose it is it was close. It was going to be easy. And when I got there, and if you're not sure uh, about India and when you hear a government hospital, that's the hardest place to be um, to receive care. There's the bare minimum, there's medical care, but usually food's not provided. Um, if you need anything special, your family and your friends need to provide it. And my job was to go with the nurses and the nursing assistants just to lend a hand in this ward. And I would watch around mealtime, you would hear the clatter of dishes outside, um, Indian families cooking their dal, their lentil curry um, for their sick uh, family members. And they would come and they would sit by the bed and there was this sense of community surrounding those who were sick. But there was also a few people on the ward who had no one to care for them, no one to cook for them, no one to provide for them. And that was a memory that I never forgot because it was in that moment that I realized the body needs bread. We need bread and drink to survive. But to really thrive, to really become who we're intended to be, we need that loving presence. We need that web of support that keeps an eye on us and checks in on us even when it drives us crazy so that we're part of something larger. And I never forgot those folks who were lying in their bed with no one to care for them. And as we turn to our lessons for today, I think you can hear uh, it's working on two levels. The people in the wilderness are hungry and thirsty. The crowds following Jesus are hungry. So there's a need for bread. There's a sense that we really need these things for our bodies. But then you also hear throughout both lessons that there's something deeper. There's something we need that we don't even know we need. There is a feeding, a spiritual feeding that we depend on. And that is really God's presence both in Israel with the cloud that showed the glory of God's presence and with the crowds following Jesus, God present in Christ. It was that divine presence that fed people and kept them going, who gave them what they need. So always remember bread, drink is important, particularly for those who uh, don't have enough food. But there's another level that we're always operating on, and it's that loving presence. It's um, God present with us in our lives. The title of my sermon today is uh, The Bread of Angels, and the tie to that is from the psalm, and it says the Lord gave them the bread of angels, and what I, the reason I like that phrase, and especially us as St. Michael and All Angels Church, there's that sense that why do the angels sing? They sing because they're in God's presence, and I'm looking up at the choir um, who knows what it means to pray twice. When you're in the presence of God, you can't help but sing. Your heart thrills, as it were. And so that bread of angels is really the singing of the angels in the presence of God. But let's look a little bit at the lessons for today to, to see what exactly is happening. Um, today's lesson where they're complaining and where they don't have food is just after, after they've come out from Egypt. So, I mean, they haven't been in the wilderness for two seconds, and already they realize we have needs, we're hungry. Moses, what are you going to do for us? But symbolically, there's something else happening. They've been in bondage. 
And now they're being invited into a life of freedom. And there's this sense of transition of, but, but I knew that bondage. It was safe. I knew what to expect. This freedom is scary. And so you have both the needs in the wilderness, but also that symbolic movement from bondage to freedom and the way that we rail against freedom. It's really interesting as human beings. So they complain to Moses, and Moses, frankly, does not know what to do, and it's the Lord who answers and gives them what they need. Doesn't berate them, doesn't scold them this time. Instead, brings a wind which drives in the quail at night, and then in the morning, manna, as fine as frost on the ground. Um, do you know what the word manna, do you know how we got that? When the Israelites asked, what is it? In biblical Hebrew, the sound of that phrase, what is it, is manna. And so it's a question. The food that they've been given to provide for themselves is at its heart uh, a question of what is this? What is your provision? So, of course, humans being humans and having become accustomed to Egypt, which is about competitiveness, which is about striving, they, see, they try to hoard it. They take, try to take more than they need for their home. And what happens when you try to store the manna? There's worms and it spoils. And God's saying, just enough for one day. And then in their anxiety again on the Sabbath, they were told you'll get two portions on the day before the Sabbath. Use that over the Sabbath. But of course, some of them went out on the Sabbath, went to collect it, and there was nothing there. So again, you see this sense of anxiety, this sense of striving, this movement from Egypt to the promised land. God's message to the Israelites is clear, and it's clear to us today. I will give you what you need, and there will be plenty for all, but you can't store it up and you have to remember to rest. This wilderness sojourn will teach you how to trust me rather than in your own power and your own capacity. Do you see how that is a universal lesson for us today? That sense of releasing into God's presence, releasing into God's provision and being open-handed about our own work. So lesson from John, there's a reason why these lessons are here together. The lectionary writers put them together on purpose. Jesus has turned the water into wine. Jesus has fed the 5,000. And now the crowds are tracking after him. Uh, why do you think they're tracking after him? Really, because they want more food. They want more of the literal sustenance that Jesus can give them. And I've broken down the gospel lesson into a short script. And this is what I hear between the people and Jesus. The people. Give us more bread. Jesus, I will give you the bread that endures. What must we do to earn this bread, says the people? Jesus, you can't earn it. It's a gift from God. Prove it, the people say. I don't have to prove it. I am. So again, you have this sense of moving from bondage to freedom. They, they only know the literal bread. They only know what do I have to do to get that, to earn that. It's this human condition. And every time Jesus is saying, I will give you my very self. I will give you what endures. You can't earn it. It's gift from God. I don't have to prove it. I am, which is we know the name of God. And so in your life, I invite you to reflect on that script and ask yourself, where am I in that drama? Am I in that Christ-rooted place where I can trust in God's presence and provision? Or am I in that striving, that earning, um, which I think shapes so much of our life?
I think these passages actually are very dangerous. We've heard bread of heaven so much. We've heard manna in the wilderness so much. It's lost its power. But I want to press into this a little bit and say, if we were to live this way, it would be radically different. Our society, our church, our town, it would look different. And God, in a sense, is inviting us to consider a different kind of reality, a different way of being in the world. We admire Moses. We claim to be followers of Jesus. But I wonder if we're actually as hard-hearted as the Israelites or as blind as the crowds who follow Jesus. I know I am. I am an Israelite who needs to be converted from a life of bondage to a life of freedom. I am a member of that crowd who puts more trust in a full belly than an open heart. I have greater confidence in my capacity to produce than God's capacity to provide. These passages are universal and they're dangerous because they reveal our humanity, our vulnerability, our struggle to accept the presence of God, which is enough. Personally, that's why I take Eucharist every week. That's why I reach out for the body and blood of Jesus Christ, not as a pleasant ritual, not because I'm a priest. I need communion to make me whole, to remind me that God provides when I can't. When I take the bread and the wine, I am taking that real presence of Jesus into myself and asking God to make me a new creation. When I stretch out my hands for the bread, I am releasing what enslaves me and receiving God's gracious freedom. My prayer is that more and more I will hunger for God's presence as much as I crave my next meal. Anne Lamott, whom some of you have read, has written a new book called, I love this title, Help, Thanks, Wow. Here's a quote from what she says about this movement from bondage to freedom and the life of grace. When we go from rashy and clenched to grateful, we sometimes get to note the experience of grace and knowing that we could not have gotten ourselves from where we were stuck in hate or self-righteousness or self-loathing, which are the same thing, to freedom. The movement of grace in our lives toward freedom is the mystery. At St. Michael and All Angels, we love food and drink, and we're eager to share that with others who are in need. But God's presence is what we really crave. When we pray together, sing together, learn together, serve together, we are making God's presence known. We are quite literally manna in the wilderness. Like those family members in that Indian hospital, we are surrounding those who are sick and bringing them back to life. And when we do that, we are being true to our church's name, St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church. We are sharing the bread of angels with our neighbors and assuring them that they are not alone. Amen.